So I got a question for you. Have you ever heard someone say, or maybe you have thought this before, have you ever heard these words in your head or from somebody else? Well, God's in control. It would have never happened. It, it couldn't have happened unless God willed it or allowed it to happen. He's gonna, he, must gonna ha- he must have something good to come out of this. There's a reason why God's doing it. Have you heard that before? What if, that's, what, what if that thought is wrong? Have you ever heard or said this before? Well, we just got to bombard the gates of heaven. We, we got to pray until we move God. We got to do something. We, we, we got we to gotta seek God. We got to fast. We got we to um, spend time in prayer in, until God awakens from his slumber. They don't really say it. But and he, he moves in our life. He moves in our city. He brings revival. We, 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 we got to get God to bring revival to our city. Or we need to pray and we got to do these things to get God to move in my life, to answer my prayers, to bless me. What if that? What if that's wrong? What if, what if that, that, that logic and that understanding of God is incorrect also? See, those are two extremes. You have one extreme that says God's in control and nothing happens unless He wills it. And then you got the other extreme that says if we don't do something, if we don't twist God, if we don't put the crowbar into the gates of heaven and pry it open, we're not going to see God's glory to manifest in our lives. We're going to be talking for multiple weeks on the subject of grace and faith. Grace and faith. Because the doctrine of men go to extremes in both of these areas. You got those that are in the grace camp, which is what grace, as we're going to see, is what God does, right? Independent of men. And then you got people in the faith camp. That's what we do. We have to get God to do something by our faith. And both of these extremes have been devastating to the body of Christ. Devastating. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Here in Ephesians, Paul reveals to us two amazing truths. Two amazing truths. And, and, and the understanding of this truth will be the difference between living a life of dead religion or a life alive in the kingdom of God. Where life is overflowing and our Father's Word and His promises are being manifest, manifest showing His 
glory and His goodness in our lives. So how are you saved? Are you saved by grace? No. Are you saved by faith? No. Are you saved by grace through faith? Yes. See, unfortunately, the body of Christ is much like American politics. They've divided and fallen into two parties, just like Republicans and Democrats. Much of the body of Christ has been divided into generally uh, two Christian schools of thought regarding God's salvation and how we live out that salvation. We have one group that preaches that everything is totally up to God. Everything's totally up to God. That they teach that the sovereignty of God, the extreme sovereignty of God, to a point where nothing happens unless it's God's will for it to happen. You showed up here today not because you chose to, but because God willed you to be here this morning. And I guess those days that you don't show up, God must have willed for you not to show up to church those days. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> then we have another group that says it's all up to you. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need, you, you need to, to get God to move, to make, salvation, to, to make salvation happen in your life, to make all His benefits manifest in your life, that it's all up to you. And, you. and you better do all the things that you need to do because you can lose your salvation and be lost forever. See, like politics... It's no longer about ideas. It's no longer about seeking truth and working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's, it's, it's no longer the best way to govern a nation you know, in safety, prosperity, and liberty. But instead, just like politics, the church has decided to which camp they're going to be in, and all they do is defend their camp. All they do is fight over their camp. All, all they do is try to prove the other camp wrong. And those, you know, those that have chosen to put God in their doctrinal theological boxes, all they do is fight over their boxes and keep trying to shove God in, in their box rather than enjoying God in the mystery. Understand stuff. There, there, understand this. There is a there is mystery in God of who He is and how He has chosen to reveal and work with humanity. See, the argument simply comes down to this: what does God, what does God, God what part does God play, and what part do we play? Do we play a part? Or are we just puppets in the hand of the puppet master? Does God play a part? Or does he, he just bring salvation and redeem you in Christ Jesus, then pat you, pat you on the back and say, okay, I made you clean. I don't get dirty again. It's up to you. Hopefully I'll see you in heaven one day. See, just like in all issues, 
truth is hardly found in the extremes. See, you, right now you might be thinking, I don't know how relevant this is to me. This is so relevant to you. Because this is how you see, see God. This is how you understand God. This is how you see Him moving in your life. This is, these are the thoughts that go through your head when something bad happens in your life. This, these are thoughts that go through your head when things are going good. And you're wondering, when's it going to go bad? <laughs> this is how you, we have been programmed. You have been programmed in one or the other. And what I hear from most Christians is that they play they jump from one side to another. You know, they, they, when they don't know what to do, when they don't have any answer, they say, well, God's in control. And then, and then when they hear something, they hear a little bit of the Word, they, they hear some promises of God, then they say, well, we've got we to gotta stand on a promise, and we've got to confess, 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 confess. We've got to do this and, t- and get God mo- to move in our life. Let's be honest. This is... This affects your life. This affects your life. But truth is hardly ever found in the extremes. Do you understand that? But truth, what it is, it's usually found held in the tension between the two extremes. So the body of Christ divides into two main camps, one that emphasizes what God has to do and the other emphasizes what we have to do. But here in Ephesians, Holy Spirit reveals to us that we are saved by grace through faith. We are not saved only by grace, and we're not sa- nor are we saved only by faith, but grace and faith. And in this, te- in, in this series, we're not going to spend a lot of time discussing these two doctrinal positions, these ex- two extremes, but I will, what, I'm, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to work to r- reveal how truth is actually found in the tension between both grace and faith. The two extremes of this way of thinking is said to follow the teachings of John Calvin and James Arminianism, right? Yeah. Arminianism. Arminianism. I always, always screw up on one word. Right. And what they do is they, they talk about these... these this, the basic view of each of these camps, and, and this is just really just general, but in, in Calvinism, they, they believe that everyone is predestined by God either to go to heaven or to go to hell. You have no choice in the matter. And, and, and in, the, in these areas, um, everything is by the sovereignty of God. God, everything in your life happens by the will of God. And in, in these camps, there, there's no, no need for prayer. There's no need for, if you think about it. And as, as, as a young man coming into the kingdom of God, and, and I spread my, my uh, learning from multiple different streams, I, I listened to certain people in, in, in these camps and I had a very hard time with this camp because deep down in my spirit, 
I struggled with the idea that a loving father would want robots. That a loving father would put what the Bible says his children into a garden knowing that all that they were going to fall and all pain and suffering was done by his will. I struggled with that. I struggled with the idea with why if we believe that God, if everybody is predestined either to go to heaven or hell, why do we even evangelize? And, and I thought about just common sense. Common sense things. And I was listening to, to one speaker in this camp. Um, another name for this camp it would be Reformed Theology. Maybe you've heard of that before. And it was R.C. Sproul. And I've, and I've gleaned lots of good information from R.C. Sproul. And, and, and he's in heaven right now. He passed away. But these were the things inside of me that I struggled with. And I was listening to one of his teachings, and he said, a lot of people want to know why do we evangelize. If, if, you are, if people are already predestined to go to heaven, if, 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 if their eternal destination is already predestined by God, why do we even evangelize? And I thought, I want to hear this. I want to know why. And I was getting ready for some wonderful explanation. And he just simply said, because God commanded us to. And I said, what? God commanded us to. And my lightning fast brain says, why would he have to command us to? Why does God have to command us if he's already, if everything, if he's in control of everything? And I was, I, I, I was not, and I still am not, nearly the theologian or the understanding that R.C. Sproul has had. But just basic common sense, religion, it just didn't make sense in my mind. And so that pushed me, that pushed me towards this other camp because I always thought there's only two. This other, this other camp. And this other camp was God saves you, but it's up to you to stay saved. God saved you, but it, it's up, to, and, and Jesus Christ provided a door for all the promises of God, but it's up to you through prayer, through um, discipline, through sacrifice, through fasting, to, to pry open those doors and hopefully get God to come out. And because of my understanding of our Heavenly Father, I, I couldn't go into the Calvinist camp. And, and, and so that pushed me into this works mentality where I was always constantly trying to please my Heavenly Father, always constantly doing the right thing, always constantly trying to get God to move in my life, in the li life of my family, and in my situation, and becoming burnt out, becoming depressed, getting to the point where I was just going through the motions. And what I was trying to do actually had a completely different effect on what I wanted it to do, 
and I was worse off for it. And I think there's a lot of Christians like that. See, Arminianism can be traced back their modern history to a theological council that met in 1610. So, you know, this was well 1,600 years after Christ. They, they issued a doctrinal statement called the Five Points of Ar- Arminianism, which stressed the freedom of hum- human will using faith for salvation. So in response to that, the Calvinists, Calvinist theologians met some 154 times at the Synod of Dort, that sounds like a good name, um, from 1618 to 1619 to consider the five points of Arminianism, and, and they responded with the five points of Calvinism, which stressed the sovereign choice of God in human salvation. And what's interesting about it is the five points of Calvinism was not formulated by John Calvin. He actually died 50 years before this council even came out with this. So it, <laughs> and, and as I said before, we're not going to spend a lot of time analyzing these doctrinal positions, but I wanted to share this information with you guys so that you, when you run into it, you would understand what you are dealing with. Because those that are in these camps are adamant about their camp. And they will fight you to the death in, in these camps. So, there was this Calvinist preacher, and, he, and he, he was driving down this mountain road, and he was coming down into the valley, and he looked down in this valley, and there was this beautiful, beautiful farm. I mean, you had cornfields here, you had wheat fields here, you had pasture of sheep over here, you had chickens running around, you, you had cattle, beautiful Angus beef. Beautiful barn. I mean, it just looked like, a, it looked like a portrait. It looked beautiful. And as he came down this road, he finally made it to the farm. And he's seen the farmer out there. And he, this, this Calvinist preacher pulled in, and, and he comes up to this, this um, Arminian farmer. And he says, I just had to stop and tell you what a beautiful farm God has made. This is a gorgeous, beautiful farm farm that the Lord has done. And the Armenian farmer looked at the Calvinist preacher and says, yeah? Well, you should have seen it before I had it, when he had it all by himself. Do you understand, understand that? That's, that's how, how it, so you have one camp that thinks that God is doing everything, and you have another camp that thinks that we're doing everything for God. What happens if the truth is in the tension between the two. It's not grace that saves you, nor is it faith that saves you. But grace and faith. And it's really important to understand this if you're going to live in the abundance of Christ's kingdom. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. All men. Now some would say, all doesn't mean all. Just all those that God selected. But when I read my Bible, I read it with common sense. And if all means all, in every, every, every other area of life, then all means all, 
when you read the Bible. It's amazing how we can get so twisted in our thinking when we read our Bible. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Grace is what God does for humanity. Strong concordance of the Bible defines the Greek word for grace, which is charis, we say charis here, as follows. The merciful love and kindness by which God turns us to Christ, forgives us, keeps us, and strengthens us, and increases us in the blessings and inheritances of those who are in faith in Jesus Christ. That's what God does. That's what God did for us. Grace has absolutely nothing to do with you. If you have anything to do with grace, it is no longer grace. Do you understand that? Grace is what God does independent from you. We are in a covenant, a testament of grace. What do I mean by that? Our covenant that we have with God, our relationship that we have with God is independent of you. It was made between Jesus and the Father. Jesus became a man on our behalf and made covenant with God. And by faith, we get to enter into that covenant. Do you know what's so wonderful about this? Do you know what's so wonderful about you have nothing to do with this relationship between you and God? What's so wonderful about it is, is you can't screw it up. And guess what? Jesus is never going to screw it up. And God's never going to screw it up. So we have security in this covenant because it's not of us, but it's of God. It's a grace covenant. And this grace covenant has appeared, this grace covenant that brings salvation, and that word salvation isn't just talking about going to heaven one day. It's not talking about just going to heaven one day. Yes, one day you'll go to heaven. But if you don't understand grace in your salvation, you might get to heaven a lot quicker than you should have. It's how God keeps us in that salvation. It's how the promises of God and, 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 and the inheritance that we have in God are able to be produced in our life because we have been saved by this covenant of God's grace. Grace has absolutely nothing to do with us. It is unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. You need to remind yourself of that once in a while. Because sometimes we can think that we earned it, that we deserve it. I've been going to church for 50 years. And that person there that's still smoking, drinking, and running around, he just came to Jesus, and God's healed him and answered his prayers, and he just got a new job, and he's prospering. And God hasn't moved in my life in 20 years. Well, you know, I don't know why. Because the one understands that it's unmerited, undeserved. That God's grace has nothing to do with what we do. And the other one is like a Pharisee saying that I deserve the goodness of God. I have earned the blessings of God. Grace has nothing to do with us. Grace is something that God does and if, gra- and, and if grace alone saved people, then every person would be saved. You understand that? Think about this. 
if grace is what saves people by itself, then everyone would be saved. Why? Because Titus, Holy Spirit tells us in Titus that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. To all men. And this, these are other extremes people take, take people into. God's grace is the same towards everyone. God is not a respecter of persons. God is the exact, exactly the same toward every person who has ever lived. So if you have ever thought to yourself, well, God must like them more than he likes me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You are lying to yourself. And if you would repent from that way of thinking, you would see God move in your life much quicker to understand that by faith, by His grace, that He is no respecter of persons. And if He has done it for one, He'll do it for another. God is the exact same towards everyone who has ever lived. If you are using your noggin, you should be thinking about now, about life's experiences and and asking if God's grace, is, His unmerited favor is towards everyone, why does He heal one person and not another? Why does He prosper one person and not another? Why does He seem to save one person and not another? See, it seems to me that God does play favorites, you, your mind thinks. That He is more gracious to some than He is to others. Here is where many Christians miss it. They think that when they see the manifestation of God's grace, that's when all of a sudden God chooses to do something. You, you, you think when God moves in someone's life, that's when God moved. You think that when you see the manifestation, that's when God provided it. That's when God blessed bless someone. When you see it with your natural eyes, that He has not done and provided or blessed you. God's grace is the same towards everyone. And when did God manifest His grace upon humanity? At the cross. At the cross. 2,000 years ago, grace was offered to all humanity. Grace is already here. God's grace is the same to everyone, and His grace is not based on anything that any person has done. Titus 2.11 states that God, by grace, has already provided salvation to every person on the face of the earth. Do you know that God's not saving anyone any longer? You understand what I'm saying? God does not save anyone any longer. He has already saved all of humanity. Do you understand that? God is not healing anyone any longer. He has already, by His grace, given healing to all humanity. God is not prospering anyone any longer. The Word of God literally says that Jesus... Be, be, became poor that we 
might be made rich. See, you're waiting for God to do something, and I'm here trying to tell you that God has already done it. He has already saved the entire world single-handedly, without anyone's help. Well, then why aren't they, is it everyone saved? Because you're not saved by grace. You're saved by grace and faith. This is not something that's easy for most to understand or grasp. See, because we're so rooted and the religion of men is so rooted in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're so rooted in the law. We're, we're so rooted in these ideas that it can't be of grace. It can't be free. It can't be unearned, unmerited, because that's not how the way the world works. Right? You go and earn a paycheck, right? You do certain things around the, the house for your wife. Why? Because you're hoping that to get something back from her in return. We, we understand the, the law and the idea of the law that do good, you get good. Do bad, you get beat. This is how we operate in this world, but that's not how God operates because if that's the way He operated, you, none of us would ever make it. It's by grace. It's by His unmerited favor. Your performance does not earn you extra pull or favor to get the power of God operating in your life. Actually, the moment you begin relating to God and God's favor, and it means that I must do something, you have fallen from grace, and you have voided God's grace in your life. Do you understand that? As soon as you think that I have to do something to make God do something, it's no longer of grace, but it's of works. And it can be prayer, it can be serving in a church, it, it can be um, giving of your finances. If you are thinking that, that I'm going to do this because when I do this, God has to do something. He's obligated to do something. It is no longer of grace, but it's of works. And it's dead. See, so why do we do those things? Because we believe that He has already blessed us. We, are, we do those things by faith in that grace. We'll, we're going to be spending a lot of time on this. Because this, this will revolutionize your relationship with Heavenly Father. This will revolutionize how you operate in this earth and allow Holy Spirit to move in your life. See, God's grace has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. God's blessing and power being manifested in your life has nothing to do with your actions. Nothing to do with your actions. And if you think it does, you do not understand grace. And right now you're thinking, so what are you saying, Chad? I can do anything I want? I can live any way I want? Sure. How do you want to live? You want to live foolish? Do you want to live ignorant? Do you want to live in a way that your heart becomes contaminated and hardened towards the things of God and you're not able to 
reach into God's grace by faith? Or do you want to live believing, trusting in a heavenly Father that His will for you is the best? His dreams, His plans for you are more amazing than you could ever dream or hope for them to be. That His ways are the right ways. His ways lead to life. How do you want to be? How do you want to live? Do you understand something? They accused the Apostle Paul multiple times of saying that since it's of grace, let us sin so that grace can abound. And he says, that's stupid. That's a stupid way to live. That's a stupid way to think. How, and he goes on to say, how can those that are dead to sin, you have died to sin, live in it any longer? You don't have to sin another day in your life. And if you've never had that thought come in, listen, if you've never had that thought come into your mind, if you never thought, what is this person saying? Are they saying that I can live any way I want to because of God's grace? If you've never heard, if you never thought those thoughts, you have never heard the gospel that Paul preached. Because when Paul preached the gospel, that's what people thought he was saying. That's how void God's grace is from us. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Most of you guys are familiar with the Scripture, correct? Have you ever wondered why? Why did God create light first? Why did God do creation in the order that He did? I mean, why didn't He just create man first? You ever thought that? Thought that? Why, why? See, I think about these things. I mean, think about the, the, the vastness of the universe. They say it just goes on and on and on. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about, does the universe ever end? Does it end? And if it does end, how does it end? Is there a wall? Is there a wall at the end of the universe? And if there's a wall at the end of the universe, what's on the other side of the wall? You need to let your mind go to those places sometimes to understand the vastness and the huge, hugeness of our Creator, of our Heavenly Father. And in the midst of that vastness, in the midst of that hugeness, He desires to be intimate with you. Why did God choose to do creation the way He did? What? Why didn't He create man first? Well, it's pretty simple because if he did, he'd have to tread water for two days. And he wouldn't have anything to eat for three days. See, God created everything that man was ever going to need before man ever showed up on the scene. God created 
oxygen. He created water. He created the earth. He created the vegetation. He created the animals before man ever showed up on the scene. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slayed before the end, before the foundations of the world. God, God provided everything that you were ever going to need in Christ Jesus before you ever showed up on the scene. Everything you already need, God has provided. It, he's not holding it back. You don't have to pry it out of his stingy fingers. He's already provided it in Christ Jesus. See, God has, by his grace, has already provided everything that you're ever going to need. Think about, the, about salvation. Many people think they have to ask God to forgive their sins and for Jesus to come into their heart to receive salvation. Many, is that what many of you heard? Is that what many of you have done? That you have to, you have to ask God to forgive your sins. And you have to ask Jesus to come into your heart. That's what it means to, to be saved. That people pray a simple prayer. Jesus, would you please come into my life and forgive me for my sins? And we tell people that's all they have to do and Jesus to, um, Jesus to come into the life and they'll be saved. Listen, that's not salvation. That's not salvation. In Acts chapter 16, verse 30, Paul and Silas was in a Philippian jail. And they were praising and worshiping God. And in the midst of their praising and worshiping, God sent an earthquake and an angel and the, the, the doors of the prison was open, the chains fell off, and the prison guard, thinking that all the prisoners had escaped, was about to kill them, his, himself. And Paul called out to him, do not harm yourself for we are all here. See, when the presence of God shows up, no one wants to leave, even if you're in a prison. And this jailer, asks Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? What did they tell him? What did they tell him? Did they, did they tell him that you need to repent? Did they tell him that you need to come to an altar and cry your eyes out and confess every sin that comes to your mind? so that God can forgive you. What did they tell this jailer? What did they tell him that they must do in order to be saved? Let's see, yeah. Acts 16.31 So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's how simple it is. Why? Because it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. You just need to believe. So what did the jailer need to do to be saved? Believe, trust on, rely on, have faith in Jesus as the only one who is able to save. Look at what John tells us in 1 John 2.2. And he himself 
is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also the whole world. The whole world. Until Jesus, God was like Mick Jagger. He couldn't get no satisfaction. Why do I say that? Is that word propitiation? means satisfied. It means to be satisfied. God was not satisfied. He was not satisfied with, with the law. He was not satisfied with Old Testament, Old Testament sacrifices. He wasn't satisfied with man-made religion and sacrificing and, and, and sacrificing of themselves. But when Jesus came on the scene, when Jesus came into the earth and became the sacrifice for all humanity, it says that God was satisfied. God was satisfied. God was satisfied with Jesus in His offering. And, and Jesus was the sacrifice not for just your sins, not just for the elect's sins, but the sins of the whole world. The whole world. But notice that Jesus didn't die just for... Jesus didn't die for us. He died for every single person that ever lived on the face of the earth. And also remember that Jesus died almost 2,000 years ago, long before you ever committed a sin. So why would you have to ask God to forgive your sins when He already did it 2,000 years ago? What's the big deal, Chad? Well, the big deal is this. You think that you have something to do for God to bless you. You think you have something to do for God to move in your life. You, have, you think that you have something to do independent to what God has already did in Christ Jesus. Our faith is in faith in Christ alone. It's in God's grace and what He did through Christ. Even if it's as simplistic as saying, forgive me for my sins, that's you saying, I don't believe that you've forgiven me. I don't believe you've forgiven me. God's up there, you're saying, forgive me for my sins, and God's saying, what sins? What sins? All I see is the blood. All I see is Jesus. All I see is a new creation in Christ Jesus. And maybe, sooner, maybe if we start seeing ourselves that way, Maybe our lives would change. Again, if you are thinking your lightning fast mind could be saying right now, well, if that's true, then everybody's saved, right? If, if Jesus was the propitiation, the sacrifice, the pleasing sacrifice for God for not just us, not just those that have accepted Him, but, those, but for the whole entire world, then everyone must be saved. Well, no. Why? Because grace alone doesn't save you. Grace alone does not save. 
God, by His grace, has made the provision and paid for every person's sins. People are not going to hell for being sexually immoral, for gluttony, for envy, for lying, for murder, for stealing, for being unthankful. Those aren't the reason why people go to hell. All of those sins are already, past tense, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's already been paid for. There is only one sin that sends people to hell. Hey, ain't that great? There was only one tree we weren't supposed to eat for, and now there's only one sin. Hi. This is awesome. You only have one sin that you have to worry about. Can you do it? By His grace we can. There is only one sin that sends people to hell. It's singular. It's the sin of rejecting Jesus as their means of salvation, as their Savior. And that's what Jesus said. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 8. And when He, he comes, He's talking about the Holy Spirit. That he, that he is going away, and it's better, better that he goes away so that he can send Holy Spirit to the church. And he says, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Go read that out. There, though, that's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. He convicts you of sin, it convicts you of your righteousness, and it convicts you of the, ju- of, of the judgment of the enemy. Jesus is talking about Holy Spirit, and this is the job that he has. He has the job to convict the world of sin. Well, what sin? It doesn't say sins. It says sin, singular. What sin? Do we we just guess what sin he's convicting of us? Well, we don't have to. Jesus tells us in verse 9, of sin because they do not believe in me. Listen. Any sin in your life. This isn't talking about just going to heaven one day, believing in Jesus. Any sin in your life is a failure to believe in Jesus. It's a failure to believe in Jesus. To believe Him as your prosper. To believe Him as your provider. To believe Him as your, your advocate and your defender. You know, you get fearful, so you lie. Because you have the fear of men more than you have... Of Jesus in Jesus. Holy Spirit will convict the world of this of the sin of not believing in Jesus. Holy Spirit will convict you of not believing in Jesus. Holy Spirit is so misinterpreted and misrepresented by the church today. They think that he's the heavenly warden. Looking to nail you every time you step out of line. That's not what Holy Spirit is about. Holy Spirit isn't about trying to nail you for your sins. And nail you for coming short of, of, God, of God's call on your life. And, and God's design for your life. He's about saying, you need to trust Jesus. Don't you know that you're the righteousness of God? Don't you know that sin has been judged and you've been set free? That's what Holy Spirit comes to do. But instead, we think the accuser of the brethren is the voice of the Holy Spirit. We think that our hardened, callous conscience is the voice of the Holy Spirit. Yes, do you feel convicted? Do you feel condemned when you sin? Yes. Why? Because your conscience is condemning you. 
The Bible says that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. And if there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ, how could Holy Spirit ever condemn you? He can't. So whose voice are you listening to? Every time you speak ugly, every time you lie, every time you cheat, are faithless or fearful. It's not Holy Spirit that is convicting you of those things. It's your recreated spirit that knows that this is not the image of Christ. This is not my true identity. This isn't who God created me to be. We are told that He will get all over you for not studying the Word or for not uh, praying enough or doing this or that. Holy Spirit is just, just all over you all the time. I mean, who would want that? He's the holy nag. Who would want to spend time with Him? You've got to understand, that's not Holy Spirit. He's not the holy nag. He's the comforter. He's the encourager. He's the edifier. He builds us up. He empowers us. We've got to get this out of our head that, that living in the kingdom and being spiritual and doing the things that, that God asks us to do, it's for our benefit. It's not for God's benefit. See, this has made the body of Christ sin conscious rather than being Jesus conscious. It magnifies sin rather than magnifying Jesus. The truth is, all of our sins have already been paid for and forgiven. That's good news. You should be celebrating that. You should be happy for that. Do do you believe that? Isn't that wonderful news that all your sins, past, present, and even future sins have already been forgiven? That's so wonderful. You do not have to live under that burden any longer. You do not have to be condemned by the accuser of the brethren any longer. You don't have to live in guilt and condemnation any longer. You have been set free for who the Son sets free is free indeed. This is awesome news. Holy Spirit is only dealing with one issue. Are you believing? Are you believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you trusting? Are you relying on His grace? Is Jesus Lord of your life? If so, your sins, past, present, and even future sins. Now you're starting thinking, well, Chad, how can God forgive sins I haven't even committed yet? Well, you better hope He can. Because when Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sins, all your sins were future tense. Every single one of your sins were in the future. You hadn't committed them yet. And God forgave it. Why? Because it's by His grace. It's by His grace. Sin has been dealt with by grace. Completely. Here's another reason to shout. Completely independent of you. Do you know that every single person on the face of this planet, their sins have been completely forgiven by Jesus Christ? And they're walking around and they don't even know the good news. Your sins have been forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ even if you have not asked God 
to forgive your sins. Remember Titus 2.11? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God is exactly the same towards everybody. Not only for you and a few chosen people, but everyone. Everyone. The grace of God has appeared to everyone. Adolf Hitler had as much grace extended towards him as Billy Graham. Every person who has done terrible things in history, Jesus loved them, he died for them, and paid for their sins exactly the same he did for all of the people that have and will receive him. Those that love him and those that seek his face. Every single person on the face of the planet has the same grace available to them. God's grace is the same. And that also includes the promises of God. This is, see, this is important to understand this. We are to live in the same way that we were saved, by grace through faith. So the promises of God are the same. That, that, uh, that, that includes the promise of God that are, that are ours by the grace of Jesus, Jesus Christ. These, these promises of God, all the promises find their yes and their amen in Christ Jesus, and we add our amen, our so be it, to it. Why? Because it was done by grace. The promises of God aren't earned. The promises of God are not something we work for. The promises of God aren't something to be begged for. The promises of God are yes and amen. In the same way God saved your soul, God's promises was manifested by that same grace. Physical healing is a grace of God provided by Jesus through the atonement. If Jesus healed one, that same grace is available to anyone that is suffering from the same condition. That same grace is available to you today. And that's why you should be excited when you see miracles. That's why you should be excited when you see healing. That's why you should be excited. Because if he'll do it for one, he'll do it for me. And it's the same grace. Well, why doesn't everybody get saved or get healed, Chad? Well, why doesn't everybody get saved? Because grace alone does not save. Grace alone does not provide the, uh, uh, manifest the promises. It's grace by or through faith. It's grace and faith. See, the moment you start thinking, why did God heal him? And why, didn't he, and why did he heal her? And why did God do this for them? And he hasn't done it for me. This type of thinking is rooted and grounded in performance. In performance. I haven't prayed enough. I haven't tithed enough. I haven't read my Bible or done this or that. This is why God hasn't done it. That is totally wrong thinking. In Romans chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For there is no partiality with God. Do you believe that? You might say, yes, Chad, I believe it, because I see it up there. i got to say I believe it. But do you believe it? Do you believe that God does not have favorites? Like there is no partiality with God. There is no partiality with God. That there is no favoritism. That God is not unfair. No one will ever be able to stand before the throne of God and say, you were unfair. The grace of God is consistent. He is the absolute. 
He is a, the absolute. He is the same towards everyone on the face of the planet. He does not love one person more than he loves another. He does not provide more for one person than he has provided for another. He has, he has not willed for one person to be healed and another not to be healed. God has forgiven the sins of the entire race. Does that mean that everybody's saved? No. Why? Because not everyone has put their faith in God and what he did by his grace. The same thing goes for all those promises. Grace is what God does independently of us. Before we existed, before we ever had a need, God had already created the supply by his grace. Ephesians 1.3 says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He has, he has, he has. He, it's not he will. It's not when we pray enough. It's not when we do enough. He has blessed us, past tense, with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. You already got it. But do you believe it? God is already abounding towards you. You don't have to ask the Lord for peace, joy, to heal you, to prosper you. You don't even have to ask the Lord to save you. You don't have to ask. He has already provided it. He provided everything humanity would ever need before you even knew that you needed it. That's awesome. That is awesome. That should be called the gospel. Because that is some amazing, amazingly good news. Amen? When people hear the gospel, the truth of what God has already done for them in Christ, they are moved to mix faith with the Word of God and what He has already done by, by grace begins to manifest in their lives. When someone hears the gospel of salvation, that God has saved you, that He has forgiven your sins, and that Jesus Christ wants to make you a new creation in Christ Jesus, that moves the Word of God is living and powerful. And it produces faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. And when they hear the Word, it carries the faith that they need to receive. Because the truth of the matter is, is that you don't have a choice to choose Jesus. Faith always comes. The Word of God always produces faith. The only freedom you have is to reject Jesus. You have been saved by grace through faith, not one or the other. See, understanding this will radically transform your walk with God. You know, I heard a perfect example of this. Actually, Andrew shared shared this illustration of chloride and sodium. Chloride and sodium. If you have if you take enough chloride, it will be poison and it will kill you. If you take enough sodium by itself, it'll become poison and it will kill you. But if you have sodium 
and chloride and put it together, you have salt. And if you don't have enough of it, it will kill you. We are saved by grace through faith. Next week, we're going to be diving deeper, and we're going to be looking deeper into this idea of sovereignty, the sovereignty of God. And it's one of the mis- most misunderstood words in Christianity. And I really can't say in the Bible because it really didn't show up in the Bible until the NIV was written. It was their way of interpreting God. And this idea of extreme sovereignty has been one of the most devastating, devastating doctrines on the body of Christ. And uh, we're going to look at what the Word of God has to say about God's sovereignty so that we can have understanding. And it will, it will transform your life. It will transform your walk with God. So hopefully you got something out of this. For some of you, this might be totally brand new. One, you might have thought we were in one camp here and the other, someone else might have thought we were in another camp here. Well, we're in the middle. <laughs> and uh, and it's in, the, in, it's in the middle that you're going to see your relationship with God flourish like it's never has before how do i know that it's because it did for me it set me free from works it set me free from an angry god you know if if people really thought and they just didn't didn't believe everything that they were told but they actually sought things out you know this some 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 churches you hear, hear hear people talk and you think why do we even need need the devil if this is how god is why do we need a devil and, and, and the truth of the matter is, is God has been misrepresented in an attempt to make him the Almighty. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the revelation of your word. We thank you. We thank you that you single-handedly rescued us. You single-handedly delivered us. You single-handedly saved us by your grace. We thank you that it has nothing to do with us. And we thank you for providing your word so that we would hear and that it would produce faith in our life so that we might be saved by grace through faith. And Heavenly Father, I ask that you would continue to teach us, lead us, guide us into this truth throughout the week. That Holy Spirit would confirm things and that he would be the true teacher in our life as we worship, as we spend time with you, as we glorify you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church and where you're taking us. And we thank you that the best is yet to come. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.